my name is Ron Bogus. I'm one of the elders. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about, we're in a series of the worship, uh, liturgy of worship, and why we do what we do is a Presbyterian church, Reformed theology, why we, the order of worship, why is it in the order at the end, why is, uh, why do we do what we do? And today, specifically, we're going to talk about the sin, the confession of, of sin, and then the pardon of sin, that section, and why we do what we do um, uh, in the worship service. So, without further ado, let me open us up in prayer, and then uh, we'll get at it. I do like to ask questions, and um, I do like to engage as we go, so if you have a question, go ahead and ask it at that point, or you can wait until the end. Um, I don't want it to be necessarily a dissertation, but it is a lot of information to go over the way I've laid this out, and hopefully it's logical and uh, will help um, your knowledge base going forward. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, again, we do come before you, Lord. We're thankful again for this day. We're thankful for your grace and for your mercy. Pray, Father, that you'd be with us now and help us to glorify you in our words, our actions, our deeds. Help us to learn more. Help, help us to build our relationship with you and help us to, uh, again, glorify you in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, I asked two questions up front, and what I don't want anybody to answer right now, I want you to think about them as I go through this presentation um, on sin, confession, prayer, and pardon. And the two questions are right there up front. Why do we have a confession of sin during the worship service at all? Why would we have it? Why do you think we should have it? Just think about it. Second of all, why is the confession and pardon of sin in the location that it's found within the order of worship, our order? Every, it's the same place every time. Uh, why, do, why is it there? So think about those two questions. As we progress through this, and I think they'll answer themselves, you probably already have a good answer to you, you know, in your mind. You probably already know why. Um, and I'll just give a... Because it's going to parallel what I'm going to talk about. But, one, it, it, it helps us to understand who we are and what we are and how we are and who God is and who He is and who we're coming before. And if you think about that in those contexts, those two questions will be answered, I think, relatively simply. Um, but we will go forward here, uh, and we talk about the man and the state of sin. And again, just a lot of information. And most of my um, resources, Louis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology, I've taught, you've seen this before. It's in our library. Um, with reverence and awe, this is a great book about uh, Reformed worship. It's in our library. Uh, and then, of course, um, I love this. This is the uh, combination, the harmony of the Westminster Confessions and all the catechisms. And this takes the Westminster Confession, the larger and shorter catechism, by section and type, and it lists it, you know, and it goes through sequentially. So you can look at all the information on a subject matter, whether it be baptism or the Lord's Supper, or in this case, um, Repentance um, and uh, the Lord's Prayer, the fifth petition specifically. But it lays it all out together on these two, on the pages right there together, so you don't have to cross reference four and five different documents. It's a great, great resource. And we have those. Um, I think there might be still some to be bought. I don't know. Um, but you can get them. Just check with Pastor Mock. So the first step we're going to go into is talking about, I think that for us to understand why we have to ask for forgiveness of sin, 
and I think we pay a lot of lip service to this, but why? Why do we have to ask again? Well, yes, we're sinful creatures. We are fallen since Adam. But why? What, what really does that pertain to? So going into the systematic theology, I, I've laid out uh, man in the state of sin. And you have, we have to understand this, first of all, how you know, lowly we really are. And, and, and we really, and this is not to be beat each other up and all those kinds of things, because in the end, there's a great thing. We get to come before a holy God if he gives us his pardon for those who are in Christ. So, but who are we? What are we? What is man in the state of sin? Well, origin of sin is Adam's fault. We go back to Genesis, original sin. Um, he, we inherited, he was the first sinner, and we have inherited corporately as a race since that time. And we will be sinners until the second coming of Christ and we stand fully consummated before our Lord in heaven. So you can't get around that one. Um, so all people are sinners. Every man, woman, and child on this planet are sinners. What's the character of sin? Well, sin is a specific kind of evil. It is evil. Sin is evil. When we sin, we are doing evil things, either to ourselves, to other people. Um, sin has an absolute character. It is absolutely evil. It is not good. It is completely foreign from God, um, our sin. Um, sin always has a relation to God and His will. Why do you think that? Why do you think sin has a relationship to God's, um, you know, uh, to God Himself and His will? It's only can be, uh, anything, something can only be defined as sin if it's contrary to God's will. So without God's will, sin Absolutely right. Is. When we sin, we're going against God's commands. There's paper on the, the singing hang out there if you didn't get one. No, they're all gone. Oh, oh, are they? Yeah. Um, Stephanie, can you go in and um, make about eight more copies, please? Um, and bring them in. Just bring them in and give them to whoever doesn't have them. We'll have them here shortly. Um, I made 15, so I was, you know, I wasn't sure. Um, all right, so it does have a relationship to God and His will. Because we are absolutely against God's will. When we sin, we are sinning against either his moral command, his commands that he's given us. We, we are going against him and against his will. The will for this, God's will for this world is to be pure and holy as God is. God is a standard bearer, not us, not what we think it ought to be, what we'd like it to be. It's what God has said it will be. And it will be. God will have his will. His will will be done. It will happen. Christ will come again. He will set the record straight. It will be as God has ordained in the, in the scriptures. It will be that. Nobody in this room or on this planet will afford that. Um, so, sin, <coughs> sin includes both, and in systematic theology, Burkhoff talks about sin in two ways, uh, both in guilt and pollution. This, the guilt of sin is the one who causes the sin, the one who sinned, is deserving condemnation. That's what. That's pretty straightforward. Guilt. Pollution is the corruption of the sinner. That's when we talk about pollution. That individual is being corrupted because sin is in them. They are corrupted. All right. So there's two aspects of that. Sin has its seed in the heart. Where does our sin derive from? What does the Bible say? The heart is deceitful. Deceitful of all things. 
This is where the seeds, this is where the planting, this is where the desires, because sin is not just overt actions. Sin is also of the mind, things we think about, things that we would do, um, things that we might want to have to do to somebody else, you know, just because we were angry. That's sin. Even though you didn't carry that act out, the thought of it is sin in God's sight. Um, and so this, that seed of it, the, where the seed is sown, is our hearts. Um, and then sin doesn't consist exclusively of overt acts. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Again, you can think things that you think, your thoughts, your ideas, your concepts, what you put in between your ears. Uh, that, if it's sinful, if it's against God's will, if God would not have it, if that's not who God is, you're sinning. Me too, okay? So, and I've done it. So, by the way, I'm including myself in all of this discussion, so we're all in the same boat together. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, um, the transmission of sin. And, and you that don't have the outline is coming. Stephanie will have it here shortly. I apologize. I just didn't know how many people to plan for. But the transmission of sin is universal. Everyone is sinful. Everybody. There is nobody without sin. And I'm going to... I'll have listed here at the end of this section all the scriptures, not all, but a whole pile of scriptures that you know you would be very familiar with. You know, he who's without sin lies, it's not truthful. I'm paraphrasing, but anyway, I've listed those. We're not going to go through them because we just don't have that time, but um, to bear out everything that I'm saying here. Um, but it's universal. Everybody is sinful, everybody is fallen. And then Again, to reemphasize the fall of Adam. That's original sin. Everybody has it. Nobody can get away from Adam's sin. The original sin, the fall of man, we own it. Like it or not, whether we are here or not, we are one race that came from Adam and Eve, and therefore that sin of the first Adam is born into us, and we are sinful. And so what to do about that? Um, just keep that in your mind. Okay. <clears throat> sin in the life of the human race. Again, we have the original guilt, which we've already talked about. We have original pollution. Because of that sin of Adam, he was corrupted. He corrupted his body. He corrupted his relationship with God. We do the same thing. We are, are, we are corrupt people. Right now, we are corrupt. We are not fully consummated. We are still fallible. We are still um, not as holy as God would want us to be holy. God has called us to be holy. Because he is holy, but we are not. And so we do sin. Alright? So we are polluted. Um, we have total depravity is, again, another aspect of this, um, the sin in the life of the human race. Total depravity. There's nothing we can do. We, we, we're deprived. We, even the good things that we do are shortcomings to God. Paul said he, the best things that he's done were nothing but rags before God, the holy God. And so we have to, again, this is not to beat each other up or make us feel terrible, but it needs to, we need to get a healthy understanding of who we are in relationship to God. And we are down here, and God is up here, for lack of better terminology. And then our total inability. There is nothing, not one molecule in our bodies that can help us pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, something within us, a goodness within us, something that is tangible that we can do to change our position with God. Not one thing. Not one thing. And again, that's not to be um, 
disheartened, but it should give us a good understanding of who we are and get and, and relationship to God. And so um, when we think about that, we have no inability, but who does have the inability? Or who has the ability? Excuse me. Christ. What Christ has done, what God has done through Christ, through Him dying on a cross and sacrificing Himself and His blood, we are washed with, washed with that, and so therefore our sins are forgiven because of that. Not anything that we did, not anything that we deserved. God's elect have been decided before the foundations of the earth. But it's nothing that we have done. It's nothing that we bring to the table. It's nothing that we have hidden in our pockets or something we can buy or we found out in the woods somewhere. No, it's something that is, is central. Only Christ. And Christ is the only one that can, can give us this forgiveness of sin. So, knowing that, again, the original guilt, our original pollution, which still rides with us today in these current generations, and how we are totally deprived, and anybody that is not a believer is totally rough. They cannot come. They, there's nothing that the, a dead person can do to come before Holy God and be saved. He will be called out um, by the Holy Spirit, by Christ and God working in him or her. Um, so that's total depravity and, of course, the total inability to do it ourselves. We need to have a, a regenerative effort from God before we can do make one step in one, that direction. So that's kind of, in general, there's, by the way, there's a lot of information here we can talk about once on, class, class after class after class. What's the punishment of sin? If we, we know that sin is bad, obviously, we know that it's not good, so what's the punishment? Well, there's two types of punishment. One is natural, and one is positive. Natural, again, this is all coming out of Burkhoff's systematic theology, um, would be of natural origin, like if we're sinners... And we're living in our sin, sickness, laws of life, disease. These are the things that are naturally affect our bodies because we're, we're fallen. We're, we're fallible. We're not perfect. Um, so we are affected by disease. We are affected by, um, you know, all of these things in a natural sense of the word. Um, positive, these would be legal, legal type things. Um, Laws of righteousness. Trans so in other words, like in the Old Testament, Exodus, if you look at Exodus chapters 20, 23. Anybody raise your hand if you don't have an outline, please. And then um, Stephanie will make sure you all get a copy of that. Um, so, this would be the legal laws. Um, like when the legal law was laid out in, uh, in Exodus, um, in, in a if you do this, a transgression leads to a punishment. That would be the the positive or the legal aspects of the punishment of sin. Under the uh, natural, natural or the purpose of punishment, there's three things. You know, why is there a punishment for sin? Well, well, sin is wrong. It's against God's laws. But, so what are the reasons? What are the things we're trying to accomplish when there's punishment, um, the purpose of punishment? One is to vindicate divine righteousness, God first. If we break God's law, He has every right to punish us, punish us uh, for His divine righteousness. So that's the first thing. The second is to reform the sinner. We want sinners to be punished. Um, you don't let your children just keep doing whatever they're going to do and run the household without, if they're doing something against your laws or rules, you don't do that. You have to punish.
punish them. You have to correct them in whatever manner you know is appropriate to the, the punishment. So we just don't. We want to reform the center. We don't want somebody to keep doing wrong things. We want to reform them. And then the last is deter man from sin. If we punish others, the hope is that other people will look at that and say, you know, I don't want to be punished like that. You know, uh, and um, so that's. Those are the three things that we're trying to accomplish, or God is trying to accomplish, I should say, um, with um, why, why is punishment, what is the purpose of a punishment. And of course, the, the penalties, if punishment doesn't fit, the ultimate penalties ultimately is spiritual death. If we die in our sins, when we are not repentant of our sins and we die in them, you have a spiritual death. You will not spend time in heaven. You will not spend eternity with God. It will not happen. And then we have sufferings in this life. Um, not all sufferings necessarily come from sin, but it does come from a fallen world. It comes from the fallen nature of man. We do suffer in this life um, because of original sin and because of sins that we actually uh, commit. So we have sufferings in this life. And then we have a physical death if we die in our sins. You know, we physically we have to face death. Um, when we talk about physical death here, we're talking about because of the fallen world, we have to face a physical death. We have to go through that that gate, if you will, for lack of better terminology, from this life to the next life. We'll stand in it. It'll be a twinkling in an eye. We'll stand before our Maker. Uh, I can't explain how. I'm not going to tell you if I understand what that'll look like. Um, I think it'll be pretty glorious, but I'll be a little apprehensive, I think, as well. So, uh, But anyway, we do have to experience a physical death. At least Christ comes, for those of us that are, if are still here, Christ comes, he has second coming, we won't have to worry about a physical death. We don't have to face death. So, um, anyway, and then ultimately, you know, we live with eternity for those who are in Christ um, forever and ever. So, that kind of gives you layout of sin, hopefully. Um, I know some of this may be, you already know that, but I, I think sometimes we can easily not think about it because we really need to understand you know, who we really are. Uh, even the best person in the world is a sinner, is an abject sinner. And we need, and we all are in that same boat together, all of us. So, if we're sinners, and hopefully I've proven the fact that we are, um, there comes the next step is we have to confess those sins. God has called us to confess these sins. Um, and we, we have to confess because the sin is in us, and we are called by God to confess our sins before Him. Again, our example given to us by Christ, our Lord, is the Lord's Prayer, specifically the fifth petition, which is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And this is question... Uh, 194 of the larger catechism and I wrote it in there so you don't have to look it up uh, somebody please well I'll read it because it gets a little wordy um, the answer is you know well the question is what what do we pray in the fifth petition and, and we answer that is acknowledging that we and others are guilty both of original and actual sin and thereby become debtors to the justice of God and that neither we nor any other creature can make the least satisfaction for that debt, we pray for ourselves and others that God of his free grace 
would through the obedience and satisfaction of Christ, apprehended and applied by faith, acquit us both from the guilt and punishment of sin, accept us and his beloved, continue his favor and grace to us, pardon our daily failings, and fill us with peace and joy in giving us daily more and more assurance of forgiveness, which we are, excuse me, which we are the uh, rather emboldened to ask and encouraged to expect when we have this testimony in ourselves, that we from the heart forgive others their offenses. And I wrote um, the, the supporting text below there. I don't have time to go through all of those today. I, this is good information for you to take home this afternoon to kind of read through those. If you look at some of those, you'll know them. Um, we've memorized some of those. Um, forgiveness of sin. The, the, uh, uh, we're asking, we, we have to ask for forgiveness. We have to do that because it just doesn't happen by osmosis. Okay? Mm -hmm. So we are called by God, and these scriptures will back that up, to confess our sins before him, a holy God. So when we get into the worship service, where do you think that ought to lay out at? Up front or at the end? Up front. Up front. Why? Because we were just called to worship. I'm sorry? Because we were just called to worship, so we're coming before God, and now we recognize that we're sinners before a holy God, so we now have to confess our sins. That's exactly right. We have to cleanse ourselves. We have to prepare ourselves. If you go back to the Old Testament, when the first time God was going to meet the people at Mount Sinai, he told Moses, he told the people to do what? For you, Because tomorrow we're going to meet God. What did he say? Consecrate yourselves. Prepare yourselves. You know, so they did. They prepared themselves the day before. They, and I don't know exactly all the preparation they did, but they were prayerfully getting ready and doing the ceremonial things that they needed to do to come before a holy God. And even when they did, they were scared, silly, and they, they said, no, you're just going up there and Moses and we'll stay back here. And, and I paraphrase them, but the point of the matter is that's the attitude that we ought to have coming before a holy God, even now. We don't have God standing in the burning mountain in front of us. We should have that same exact reverence and awe of him that we lower ourselves and prepare our heart and our minds, and that is why we do this first. We cleanse ourselves of our sins. We freely admit that we are sinners. And we come before God. So when we do come before God, when the words be increased, when the actual, because this in our acts of coming before Him, we're worshiping Him, when we're saying, hey, God, forgive us of these sins. And then in the end, we show us His pardon, which we're going to get into. That's an act of worship, okay? So we're worshiping Him at that time. But we're, we're actually, we're really getting prepared for the true worship, which is the preaching of the word, when we're listening to what he has to say for us. And, and, and we, need, we need to understand the lowliness that we are and to elevate him to the height that he ought to be. And I just don't think we do a good job of that. So, um, all right. So our prayer. What are we praying when we pray? What should we be doing? You know, you know what we do. We do it every Sunday. We have a moment of individual time so you can call your own prayers your own confession of your own sins whatever they are um, before holy god and then we have a corporate prayer after that but our prayer we seek repentance we're seeking repentance we should be begging god for repentance of our sins that's how bad they should affect us that's how every sunday we come in here we should do it every day quite frankly because you just heard daily and this reading from um, we send daily all of us do. 
Um, but when we're coming before a holy God, we should be absolutely begging for his repentance so that we can come before him clean, if you will, and hear what he has to say with eyes that he's given us and ears that he's given us and help us to hear his words and then become closer to him. It's relationship building. All of this is designed to bring us closer to God. The whole, all of our worship uh, is designed to do that. The praying, the singing of hymns, the worshiping, preaching of the word, all of that and is to build our relationship and to worship a holy God who we've been called to worship, we've been told to worship. So, we seek this repentance from our sins. And repentance is unto life is an evangelical grace. Westminster Confession of Faith says, By it, repentance, a sinner out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sin or her sin, uh, as contrary to the holy nature and the righteous law of God, and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ, to such are penitent, to so grieves for and hates his sin, as to turn from them unto God, all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commands. And then I've listed 2 Timothy, Zechariah, Acts, 2 Corinthians, Luke. All of those will bore out exactly um, why we seek repentance of our sins. Again, I don't have the time to go through every one of those, um, but it is important that we understand we should be begging Begging, and I mean that. I'm not trying to be figurative or emotional or anything. We should be begging for our sins because God does not have to forgive us. There is nowhere you'll find that God said, I will forgive you. You can be as sinful as you want, and I'll just keep forgiving you. That ain't anywhere. He is long-suffering. He is righteous. And he puts up with us. Uh, but he only will do that for a certain amount of time. Uh, those and, and if you notice, in every one of these readings that I've talked about, in the catechism and things, uh, it's important to understand this applies to those who are in Christ. Yes, Jen? What do you suppose it means to, by saying out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness of the Say again now. That, that's fourth, in between the one, two, third and fourth commas of the first sentence of the answer that he just Starts out of the sight and sense. Uh, I'm trying to find it. Were you, were you in section four? By it, yeah, of four the B, sinner. B I. Yeah. By it, repentance. A sinner. Out of the sight and sense, not okay. only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins. Right. Well, you're asking what the first sentence means? What does it mean to say out of the sight and sense of? I think that what that's saying is we are our sin, our own sin that we have in us, we really don't pay attention to it. It's out of our sight, it's out of our sense. We don't see the dangers because God's not standing here right here physically with a flaming sword ready to cut your head off or whatever. We don't see the dangers. We don't see the absolute utter destruction that we are heading for if we continue to sin. I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's what the what the divines were getting after uh, in that, that first sentence. Um, that's how I see it. Well, you see it as people's excuses also. Right? You can see that. Yeah, we we come up with all kinds of excuses. The devil made me do it. You know, and I know that's I'm not a cliche, but 
It is not the devil. Um, the, uh, uh, the point of the matter is, is we, our sin, our own sin, we, we, we compartmentalize it. We like it for some reason. I, go ahead. I, say, I, I think what, what's, what's being communicated here is that this is an evangelical grace. So it's a grace that is, that is tied to the gospel, that uh, is given by the Holy Spirit. And this grace in, involves an enlightenment of the eyes. So with the eyes of faith that have been you know, endowed with this grace, uh, I now look at my sin, and I see how disgusting it is, how filthy it is. And I also look at my sin and I see how odious, how hateful it is, how it is, in its essence, at enmity with the God that I love. And because of this new sight given me by the Spirit, I now hate it, and do it, I endeavor to live in a life that is live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, and I see how my actions, my thoughts, words, and deeds have been so contrary to the holiness of God. And so as I see it, I sense it. I, I, you can say, I behold the essence of the sin and the effects of the sin, and I, as uh, saved, I uh, abominate the sin and seek to live a life that is more fitting to uh, the calling to which I've been called. Um, and that, in, that includes the, the whole part. That includes the cognition, the, the, uh, the affection, in a sense, and the volition. So I do grieve, and I do endeavor to turn away from that, because I now see sin for, for what it is, though I don't see it perfectly. Because right. I don't see it as God sees it. But I've been granted to see it properly. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. Does that make help, Joanne? Joanne? Oh, yes. Okay. I think you, your, your definition was very helpful, too. I mean, I'm not sure I was correct. True, but even though it's different. I mean, it's, it's I don't a different have all way of, of interpreting out of the sight and sense. But uh, I think Michael hit the nail on the nail. Absolutely. And that's, <laughs> that's why Michael was before. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. That's very good. I Like I said, I, I don't profess to have all of this, and I... You know, but I, it's important that we understand that we are seeking this repentance. This is, is critical. This is what we're praying for uh, when we come to um, the time in the worship service, or any time for that matter, um, to come before a holy God. And in men's Bible study, we just finished up prayer and how we prepare for prayer and all the things that we should do. We shouldn't come to it lightly. We shouldn't come to it. Um, haphazardly. Sometimes you have to because of events are, are such that it's an immediate prayer that has to be done. But our prayers should be thought out. We should we should come before. We should prepare ourselves. We should be you know not in a dither if, if we can. If we can come and prepare our hearts and our minds to come before a true holy God, that's what we ought to do. Um, we we we. I think it's easy sometimes. Too easy. To just flippantly think of God as a great benefactor in the sky, and we come before Him like we are coming up to talk to our buddies, um, you know, at a break from work or working out or doing whatever gals, and, you know, the, you know whatever you know, they were at a meeting or something, and we just they're just talking to their friendships, you know, their uh, after church, you know, the fellowship that we have. Um, that is not while we do have fellowship with God. We absolutely do. And there are times that I think that you can have this type of fellowship, but we're talking about specifically prayer 
coming before a holy God to worship him, our attitudes need to be absolutely 180 out from what we, I think we have right now, including myself. We do not come in the right mindset to um, I don't. Um, he's a holy God. He is the maker of the universe. And I don't think we grasp that. I don't think we can fully grasp it. I don't think we're able to fully grasp that. But we should also, we should try. And so I think we can try to do better at preparing our hearts and our minds. And this is preparatory. We're, you know, we're in this section of the worship service. We're prepping. We're prepping to come before Holy God. So we, we're presenting our commit, you know, committing sins we've committed. We're saying, Lord, forgive us for these. We, we ask you to repent for us, cleanse us. Um, and so that's what we should be thinking about. That's what we should be doing. Um, so if we're going to ask and seek repentance... The normal flow from that, for those who are in Christ, remember, for those who are in Christ, who have been called, who have been elected, who are now in Christ, we can assure, we can be assured that he's going to pardon us. That's why we call it assurance of pardon. God has promised us, for those who are in him, and you saw that in the figurative language of the Westminster Confession, you know, those who are penitent, those who are in God, those who are in Christ, this applies to, you have assurance of pardon. If you confess your sins and you do it rightly, you do it out of your heart, you do it knowingly that you are a terrible person, you shouldn't do these things, and you are truly, truly, truly um, sad and, you know, regenerate, not regenerate, but, you know, do not want to carry on with these sins. Please help me, God, to not have these sins anymore. Help me, you know, you may do it again, okay, but you're striving, you're working towards not doing these things, you can. there's assurance of pardon. God has assured he will forgive you of your sins. And he has. Or we would all be utterly hopeless uh, in our sinful lives right now. All of us would be. So pardon, assurance of pardon. God assures us through his word that our sins will be forgiven if we believe and follow Christ our Lord. Christ was raised from the dead as the first fruits of eternal life. Our sin was buried with Christ, and so our forgiveness and eternal life rise with him. And God reminds us um, what he has done through Christ. And, and that this John Calvin is a quote from John Calvin's book 47, uh, Christ-Centered Worship. Those who in faith confess their sins find Jesus present and the Spirit able to heal them of their sins. So this is an important aspect. When we're doing confession of sin and the pardon of sin, Christ is there. Christ is standing right next to you. He's forgiven your sins. The Holy Spirit is effectually working in your, 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 your body right then and there to you know, work towards overcoming these sins and healing that pollution that is in your body from your sins. The Holy Spirit is working in you always. Christ is right there. He is, he is in our worship services. And again, I don't because we don't see Him, I think a lot of times we might pay lip service to that. We have a tendency to muck it up or whatever. I don't, want to say, I don't know what the right words would be. But we don't become reverent like we ought to. It's a holy moment. Um, anyway, so John Calvin says this. A weekly reminder <clears throat> that God continues to forgive us and uplift us regularly. Um, this is another aspect of when we, we do our confession of faith and pardon of sin. It's a weekly reminder. We should have a daily reminder, but we come together once a week on the Lord's Day and worship Him. 
but it also is a reminder that God continues to forgive us and us to stuff regularly. We can struggle with these matters. And, and this is great. This is Satan's greatest love. This is to help to tell us how unworthy we are. That is his number one way of trying to draw a believer away from God. Oh, you, God didn't really say that, did he? God really isn't this. He's the great deceiver, the great liar. And he uses this sin, our sins, against us to try and drive that wedge between us and our holy God. And we need to fight against that. And, and God gives us methods and methodologies to do that. He gives us the word. He gives us prayer. He gives us our leaders. Um, all of us working together fight against the evil one. And we fight him on a daily basis. If you don't believe that, we do. We fight, you know, the Bible says we fight supernatural powers and we do not understand. And so we have to fight them with the things that God has given us. Prayer, um, the word, um, all the things that we have. Um, God speaks to us in the worship service and assures us of the good news in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's the gospel, uh, 1 John 1, 9. And so when we look at these answers, you know, I refer back to those first two questions. Why do we have a confession of sin during the worship service? And why is the confession and pardon of sin in the location that it is found within the order of worship? Well, as I said earlier, we first have to understand who we are and how depraved we really are and how low we, are, we really are compared to God. First, we're coming before a holy God to worship Him, and He has called us to do it. He's called us to confess our sins. Simple as that. In reverence and awe, we prepare ourselves by confessing our sins and God cleansing us of our sins before Him so that we may be prepared to receive His Word and we worship Him reverently. All right? There should be nothing new here. Um, the confession of sin is up front so that we are cleansed from our sins before God and we're ready to worship Him. This is, pre this is a preparation of ourselves to come before a holy God. The Book of Church Order, when it talks about public prayer, um, is proper to begin the public worship in the sanctuary with a dioxily followed by a short prayer in which the minister shall lead the people humbly adoring and infinitely majesty of the living God expressing a sense of our distance from him as creatures and our unworthiness as sinners and the duties of I'm getting ahead of myself here. expressing a sense of our distance from him as creatures and our unworthiness as sinners and humbly imploring his gracious presence the assistance of his holy spirit and the duties of his worship and his acceptance of us through the merits of our lord and savior Jesus Christ it is appropriate that this prayer conclude with the Lord's Prayer in which it may in which all may unite. That's just an example. We don't we do have in the past done the Lord's Prayer at different times within the service. Uh, I brought out that specific petition because that uh, refers to when we ask for forgiveness of sin, forgiving our debtors. Um, and then the rest of this in this chapter fifty two, if you ever you know you go through it talks about the whole Liturgy of worship. Um, let's see here. There was one other thing I wanted to bring out. Yes. Making earnest supplication 
for the pardon of sin and peace with God through the blood of the atonement with all its important and happy fruits for the spirit of sanctification and the abundant supply of grace that is necessary to discharge of our duties for support and comfort under all the trials to which we are liable as we are sinful and mortal and for all temporal mercies that may be necessary in our passage through this valley of tears, always remembering to view them as flowing in the channel of covenant love and intended to be subservient to the preservation and the progress of the spiritual life. So our prayers and why we pray is, again, it builds our relationships with God. It's not that, yes, we need to be subservient. We need, and I really do believe we think much, too much of ourselves. Um, but we need to, once we realize how depraved we really are and how holy God is, you know, we need to work towards that relationship. And God wants us close to him. He wants us to be walking by his side. Like he used to walk with Adam in the glade in the morning, mist before the fall. That's what he wants. That's what he wants with us. He wants to have our fellowship, but it has to be in his stance. We don't get to choose. We don't get to decide how that relationship is going to be. It's been established before the foundations of earth by the holiness of God, who needs no one, by the way. By his own love and mercy and kindness, he has determined that he has made us uh, to have fellowship with him. That's just his decision. Don't know why? Um, I don't have those answers. One day we might know those answers. Um, but the point of the matter is, as we worship him, as we build our relationships with him, um, it is important that we hold him up in a manner that's worthy of his calling. Um, again, this is not for us to mope around, because what I've just said in his pardon, and, and, and don't take, you know, the assurance of pardon, we're assured. That should bring happiness and gladness, and because, you know, we know anybody that has committed sin, and I know I have, I mean, you know when you've been forgiven, if you've gotten crosshairs with somebody, that point where that person looks at you and says, you know, I forgive you. You know, I'm telling you, it's like a brick off your, load of bricks off your back. I've been on receiving end of that, and I have perpetuated that. And so it happens. You know, we all do that. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're close to one another, and we spend time with one another, and we do butt heads every now and then. It happens, you know, because we are fallen creatures. But we have a whole it's a whole other class, but way that we're supposed to talk to one another and solve those problems um, and to uh, come back to one another in, you know, brothership and sistership and to reunite um, if we get crosshairs with one another. And so that feeling, you know, when God forgives our sins, you know, I mean, it's, it should be uplifting in that service, in that worship service. When we get done at the end of the corporate prayer and then we read the assurance of pardon, whoever does that, um, man, that should be a great lift. Uh, your burden should be released from you. So now I can worship God, the rest of the service, in an uplifting, in a whatever emotional uh, feeling. I don't know if I have them all in my repertoire, but you know, it should be uplifting for you. It should be uplifting. This assurance of pardon, 
You know, only he can do this. We can't do it. We can't, not, like I said earlier, there's absolutely nothing we can do to overcome this. And um, thanks be to God uh, that uh, he, uh, he has laid this out for us. One thing I will bring out, this is another good reference, uh, with reference and awe. This is in our, like I said, I just want to talk a little bit about um, the, uh, the reading of the law, confession of sin, assurance of pardon, um, what they talk about here. It's just a little short paragraph. But this is just to give another reform reason why we do this. You know, the bottom line is we're called to do the regulatory principles that we follow in a reformed faith tells us that we should confess our sins before a holy God. So that's why we're doing it. And why is it up front? We've already answered that. But just listen to this for a minute. Um, and I'll open up to any questions you all have. One of the most striking, and this is almost a, it's a, it's a, let's see, this was done in 2002, so it's kind of a grim thing a little bit. It kind of talks what we did. Anyway, you'll hear what, when I read it. Okay, so one of the most striking phenomena of contemporary Reformed worship is how little time is given to a corporate confession of sin. Even more pointed is the growing uncomfortableness with the minister giving an assurance of pardon. I don't think we have that problem in this church at all. Um, part of this, and thank be to God for that, um, part of this may be a proper, or a, uh, excuse me, proper opposition to, and I'm going to throw this out here, and uh, Michael, you're just going to have to tell me what that is, sacerdotalism. Opposition to sacerdotalism. I can only guess that that is... So like a Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholic system of priests uh, absolving. Absolving. Sometimes you have... Uh, that you're granting, you're being granted absolution, right? From the middle, okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Um, but however, forgiveness of sins is declared in the service. It has to rank as one of our all-time rules, and the Reformed tradition that churches adhering to that theology have dispensed with a time of the service dedicated to the confession of sin and granting forgiveness. It is even more remarkable since Christ Himself told His apostles that declaring forgiveness of sins would be, their for, would be their chief task. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins would be their chief... Excuse me. And he's talking, Now, this is Christ talking to the apostles. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. That's John 20, uh, verse 23. Then, after having contemplated God in His glory, seen ourselves in our own unworthiness and been reminded of the forgiveness we have through Christ, we next need to grow in faith. And so a service may, be plausibly move, may, may plausibly move into a cycle of worship that employs the means of grace, and it just kind of goes on and talks more about further on down the liturgy of worship. But it's important um, that we understand that it, it's, it's, it's absolutely essential. Um, it, it's a small part of the liturgy of worship. But it's absolutely essential that we go through that process as we lead up to the preaching of the word and the other singing of hymns and other prayers that we do. Um, and we do it, and we hopefully, in our Reformed faith, which is critical to us, Reformed means we want to do it according to what God would have us do, how God would want this to be done. And we take, in, in the, the Westminster Divines, 
who have laid this out through the Book of Church Order, through the Westminster Confession, you know, through Berkhoff's systematic theology, and there's other systematic theologies, Reformed theologies out there that will bear witness to everything we've talked about today. Um, it's important. Um, when you go back to the Reformation, you know, you, look, you think of the Calvins, and you think of uh, Luther, and you think of um, um, all, and I, Knox, I can't, you know, it goes on and on, but these great theologians who have given us volumes of information, um, they lived this. They lived it every day of their lives. Now, it's a lot different now than it was back, you know, 1,500 years ago plus. Um, but, you know, these guys, Calvin did, he, he did two or three sermons a day, seven days a week. And people came, you know. We find it hard sometimes just to come one time on a Sunday. Um, and then when do we come? Do we come in the right mind? Do we come in the right attitude? Do we come in the right um, disposition? Yes, we want to have fellowship. It's very important. We have to have that. And we come, this is certainly a time for fellowship. And we absolutely need to have that. We absolutely need to do that. But when we get in there to the sanctuary uh, and we get ready to worship a holy God, what, do we, what are we thinking about? What are we doing? This is a preparatory thing that we do in the liturgy of worship to prepare ourselves mentally, physically, spiritually to come before a holy God. Just like the Israelites did that day before Mount Sinai when Moses told them, prepare yourselves, you will meet your God tomorrow. Do we have that same reference? Do we have that care? I just ask. I don't think we do. I don't think I do. And so I challenge you to look at it. And what can you do? What Think about it. Just think about it before you come before a holy God. Um, and when we pray, know that your sins are going to be forgiven. Know that Christ stands there beside you and is forgiving your sins. If you're doing it out of a penitent heart and you truly are repentant of the sins that you have caused, not only yourself but other people, and your thoughts. Don't forget about your thoughts. Because sin is not, an, as I said earlier, sin is not an overt act. Our thoughts are just as damning and delivering us to death as if we physically went out and did what we thought we were going to do. So um, think about those things. It's important. Um, it's a preparatory thing that we do in the order of worship to prepare ourselves. I said it a hundred times. I don't want to sound like a broken record. But I, I want the message to get through. We, um, <clears throat> we need to do a better job um, of what we, what we do. But again, not to beat ourselves up, it's a great thing here. It's a great moment. It's a holy moment. God is with us. God is working in our lives. You can't walk away. Hopefully you, don't, you walk away from this lesson knowing that God's not working in your lives. He's there every day, 24-7. Um, even in the most greatest moments of your despair, whatever they may be, come or gone or something that is yet to happen, He will be there. And you can call on Him. And you can call on His Holy Spirit. And He has assured you through His Word and God doesn't lie, right? We know that the scriptures are true, and everything that's in here is 100% factual. It is the only truth. There's only one truth. Today in this world, we have multiple truths. Your truth has to be as important as my truth, and I have to affirm that your truth is right as well. That's not, well, that's not right. That's the worldly view. It's sinful view. There's only one, one truth, one light, one God. And so we can rest on that. You can you know, absolutely take it to the bank. 
So that should give us great news. Christ is with us. Christ is always with us. Christ will be with us. So when you end today, in a little bit, and um, we do assurance of pardon, and um, we seek Christ to forgive our sins, think about that. Be truly repentant. Don't pay it lip service. Truly list your, your comments before God, what you have done, what you haven't done. Because there's, there's sins of omission and sins of commission. Things that you should have done that you didn't do and things that you did that you shouldn't have done. Simple as that. So be serious about it. And, and feel that relief that God, only God can give you. Because it's the only place it can come from. Only God. And um, he's given us a methodology to do that. And so that's what we try to carry out in the Reformed Theology. Each Sunday when we do the uh, Confession of Faith and the Assurance of Pardon. Um, that's what we wish to accomplish. What we're trying to accomplish as leaders of the church and his representatives of Christ. So, any questions um, on anything we've talked about today? Concerns, gripes, complaints? Because I'm not at all thinking I have you know, a handle on all of this. Yes, Jeff? I remember something wonderful that Pastor Roman said one time. Basically to the effect that when we're after contingent or concurrent repentance, we can also be grateful to God for holding us back from the gross sins that we would undoubtedly be committing every day without nope, I mean, His protection. You're absolutely right. Um, it's, you know, by the way, and I, I don't know, I've said this before, but if it wasn't for God's grace upon us, we can be just as sinful as the worst Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dahmers that walked the face of the earth. Only God keeps us from our sin, that really what our sin could be. Thanks be to God for that. That should be another uplifting, absolutely thankful God on our knees, you know, thankfulness for him. Because if he removes our, his grace from us, if he was to do that, um, which he won't. I, would say, well, I guess he could do whatever he wanted to. If somebody was absolutely unrepentant of their sins, um, he can't turn you over to your sins. And you don't want that. But um, but if you're saved, you're saved. So you cannot be snatched from his hand. So I will clarify that. But the point of the matter is, absolutely, we are not as bad as we could be. What other comments? Anything else? Disagreements? Ron, uh, yes, sir. Just kind of, I mean, obviously, in our church, we're, we're less formal than a lot, but more sure. formal than a lot. Yes, yes. And we have a specific liturgy. And this part of the liturgy, as you, you know, pointed out very well, is to help us prepare our hearts as we uh, come before a holy God. Yes, sir. But it's interesting if you read through the Old Testament and the procedures of what priests had to do, the high priests, it is kind of a, a glimpse of, I mean, it's formal and you know, almost strange as some of those procedures seemed there was a, a way to recognize what what is required to come before holy God. And yeah. particularly if you look at uh, the instructions to the high priest who would go into the holy of holies yes, sir. one time a year. Yep. And if he didn't do things just right, he could be struck dead. 
That's right. They tied a rope around him. So if he went in there and provided the wrong instance or didn't do the proper procedures, he could absolutely be struck in dead. Yeah, and I mean, that, that's not in the Bible, but it's in the Jewish tradition that they would tie the rope around his waist. Yeah. Because if they didn't hear the little bells ting, tinkle anymore, that means that he did something wrong and God struck him dead. Well, and, and we know the exact example of that. Um, it was, um, what was the sons? It wasn't Eli's. It was um, Aaron's sons who, who uh, presented uh, the wrong incense right. before God, and he struck them dead right there on the ground. But, but the point is, but, is that God is so holy that was what was required uh, to to properly worship. And so, you know, we're, we're far removed from that in the yes. sense of those kinds of procedures. But the concept is the same. And so, you know, like you were saying, we ought to have that sense of reverence. Yeah, and that's the... There for worship. Yeah, I think that's the point. I mean, you know, um, you know, those were the Old Testament, and it is important to see how holy God was in, because God hasn't changed. His holiness has not been reduced any, last time I checked anyway. Mm -hmm. And so he's still a holy God. And like I said, I think we can get, you know, there's just so much in this world to make us be flipping over, and we just don't formalize. It's so informal, I guess is a better way of, and we are inundated with it on a daily basis. And, and we ought and not the churches to. Too. I mean, maybe and it's happening in the church. Yeah. Churches that are so casual and it is. It, you know, and there's a lot of come here because that's not. What yeah, and it's infiltrated the church, like you right. said. And and um, and we need to. We need. And I'm not saying everybody has to wear a suit and a tie. That's not what I'm getting after. It's an attitude. Okay. I mean, I'm fine with you know. If I you know, I mean, I wore I wore I don't wear a tie much anymore, but. Um, I wore one for eight years every day. And anyway, and it's not against that. I mean, my point is, is that it's that mindset, it's your heart, it's that inner self that we're really getting after here. What are we, what are we, what's occupying our mind as we lead up to um, the confession of faith and then the assurance of pardon or confession of sins? Um, what are we thinking about? You know, I don't know. You know, um, let's make a concerted effort to try be a little bit more. Um, Pointed about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I think that's why we're going through this whole series on the entire liturgy of worship. Why is it so? Why is it important for the uh, Reformed theology? And why we do what we do? Because mainly because God has told us to do it and we want to be faithful to God, a holy God, in a way that's pleasing to Him. So that's kind of the down and dirty of it. Let me close in prayer and we'll get everybody out of here. Um, Heavenly Father, we do come before you again, Lord, we're thankful for this lesson. I pray, Father, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Um, help us to worship you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our bodies and souls. As we prepare now to worship you in the, in the worship service, I pray that you be with Michael, um, that you would uh, lift him up and um, be the, the focal point of the delivering of the word that you would have us hear. Thank you again, Father, for what you have done for us, what you will do, um, and be with us the rest of this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.